All right, so you got that intro ready yet? I thought you were working on it. It sounded like mine was very interesting, so I just <laughs> away. I started working on it, and then you were like, oh, I got this, and I'm like, oh, he's already working on something. I'm just going to let him go. And I told you what my idea was, and you're just like, meh. So I was like, junk. No, Bye. I was like, he's got to be the janitor, because the janitor's important. <laughs> Somebody God, needs to mop the floors. All right. There was a failure in communication right there. Yep, there was. I apologize. That was my fault for not seeming more excited. You're just like, yeah, well, that's lame. I'm like, okay, that's cool. I was totally like, I'm going to go take care of this. He hasn't played Space Quest problem real quick while Scotty finishes up his awesome intro. Opening communications. Initializing Altarian frequency. Establishing connections. Designations. DJ. Dude Link. Connected. Scotty. Dude Link. Connected. Raven. Dude Link. Connected. J-Ro. Dude Link unavailable. Vixie. Dude Link unavailable. Kaiser. Dude Link unavailable. All right, I'm ready. All right. You ready, Raven? You ready? Raven? I'm ready. Raven, Raven, I'm ready. ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Welcome to USS Dudes. Come with us as we explore this wonderful poetic film, Star Trek II and the Wrath of Khan. Captain of this vessel is DJ. What's our course, Whee! Captain? Wherever the hell Sulu wants to take us. Oh, damn. And who am I, you might ask? I am the Chief Engineer Scotty. How's everybody doing today? Engines are full, Captain. Ready to go. <laughs> and last but not least, our favorite janitor, Raven. The floors are all mopped. We're ready to go. Yeah. The rest of our crew is currently on regular one, working on the Genesis Project. But we're not supposed to talk about the Genesis Project. Or are we? Stay tuned. Still not cleaning the toilet after j -Row. I wouldn't. No, don't go in there. Oh, God. Yeah, stay away from there. Ugh. Ugh. All right. For those of you who haven't done so yet, head over to facebook.com slash dudes from Altaria, reddit.com slash r slash dudes from Altaria, and make sure to like or follow. You can also check out our website, dudesfromaltaria.com. There's some cool stuff there to buy. Buy stuff. It goes for more dude stuff. Yep. We need more dude stuff. Lots of dude stuff. Heck yeah. All the dude stuff. All of it. All right. I think that's everything for an intro. Everything intro needs. Sounds pretty good to me. This is the part where I'd have Raven take it away, but he's not even done watching the movie. It's fresh in his mind. I have 24 hours of time between I w when I watched it. So Right. You know what I remember from 24 hours ago when I watched it? What's that? The opening music is a little bit different from the motion picture, but it's mm. still pretty sweet. But it's also definitely a downgrade from the picture. Like, the audio quality just wasn't as good as the motion. That was really weird to me. The opening sequence, stars and the flying through space. Mm-hmm. They did that by setting the camera in the middle of a planetarium pointed up and push play on the planetarium. That's awesome. That is pretty sweet. How do we make this look a little bit more realistic? A planetarium. Mm. Yeah, that's one way to do it. Cool idea. I would have never thought of it. That's why I don't make movies. It takes practice and time, many minds, or something. I don't know. The movie opens up on the Kobayashi Maru. The infamous Kirk cheated mission. Whoa, 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 whoa. We don't know Kirk cheated yet. We don't find that out until three quarters of the way through the movie. This is true. I obviously didn't know that. 
Well, you'll get there. Hey, I don't like a no-win scenario, okay? I just don't Whoa, like Oh, I'm totally the same. No-win scenario is a no-go for me. Well, just because it's no-win doesn't mean that it's not a total loss. Right. But why lose anything? Because that's life. I don't like it. Life sucks. Mm-hmm. Life can kiss my shiny metal ass. Oh, uh, yeah. Isn't that Bender? Yeah. He's awesome. He's amazing. He is. Bender's greatest. I know it. King Bender to you. I'm not part of his kingdom. Remember me. They're like throwing themselves around the simulation. And like stuff is blowing up in their faces. And I'm like, this is a simulation, guys. <laughs> You're super dedicated to making this real. How else will you learn if it's not as close to real as possible in a simulation? You tend to execute how you practice. So the better they There's practice, the better they react. One of the dudes throws himself over a railing and into another console. Like They're really putting themselves in harm's way for a simulation. They, like, they could still be like, oh, it blew up in front of me, now I'm just going to pass out. But no, they're like Star Trek throwing themselves around the bridge plasma conduit just blew up in my face and I'm going to throw myself over to the other side of the bridge. The medical technology at that point, they don't need to worry about it. I would figure if they're going to be doing a simulation that hardcore, they'd be doing it with like some paid stunt dudes. They wouldn't be using Captain Spock. He felt spry and he wanted to join in. I mean, what's wrong with that? That is another thing that I wonder is like, why was Captain Spock the one doing the training here? He's got a ship to captain. That's going to be his crew, so they got to go through the training simulation as a crew. Then why do they have Savik doing the Kobayashi Maru? Because she's not getting ready for a command position if she's going to be on a ship. Everybody's got to be in the hot seat. What can I say? Right. I don't want to be in the hot seat, because I'd be like, uh... You don't need to take the Kobayashi Maru to get captain position, because Spock admits that he's never taken it. Maybe that's why Spock was part of it, because he hadn't done it yet. No, because he is in a support position. See, there's just lots of questions. Why the... Anyway, continue. Uh, I would like to point out at this point that during the simulation, the Klingon battlecruisers firing on the ship is a direct recycle of the Klingon battlecruisers from the motion picture. They gotta save money somewhere. Ooh, I did have something else to say about the Kobayashi Maru simulation. When it's over, Kirk says something to Savick, right? Right. Uh, what was it that he said to her? Y'all don't remember? Was that when he brought up the no-win situation? He asks her if it ever occurred to her that a no-win scenario would actually take place. But then he follows that up by telling her how we face death is just as important as how we face life. Right. Keep that in mind. It's important. <laughs> it's important. I'm going to bring that up again later. Just keep that in mind. All right. Suri, Kobayashi Maru's done. I like when he's talking to Spock afterwards. Aren't you dead? <laughs> right? Didn't you die? Those two had some really good smart-ass banter between them. Yeah, I definitely enjoyed the banter between both of them throughout the movie. They definitely played off of each other really well. I'm glad that Leonard Nimoy came back and did this one, even though he really didn't want to. We'll get to that, though. I'll talk about that toward the end. So then we move forward, learning that... Captain Kirk is now an admiral. Well, he was an admiral in the motion picture. He's still an admiral. Still an admiral, but he's an unhappy one. But he won't come to terms with it until his buddy doctor comes in and says, Look, bro, you gotta not hang out and follow regulation all day. That's not you, buddy. Let's get back on a ship. Let's do some stuff. 
when they're toasting his birthday, according to the star dates given in this film and at his birth in Star Trek, Kirk is celebrating his 52nd birthday. That explains why he feels so old. And he's getting his bifocals. <laughs> Which to me, I'm like, holy shit, it's a fucking future and we're still using bifocals. And my wife was watching with this with me and she's just like, well, maybe he just wanted to have, you know, classic antique things. Nonsense. It's the future. We all have 2020 vision. That was explained. I know. Apparently in the future, there is no smoking. So the no smoking at any time on the bridge sign was removed from everywhere other than that opening sequence. All you smokers out there, there's no smoking in the future. His glasses were explained because he's allergic to the procedure that they would do to fix his eyesight. Which is what I was about to say is, I liked that they showed that even in the future, apparently allergies are still a problem. Which is bullshit because it's the future. (laughs) We have the ability to create a superhuman, augmented, like super genius, super strong con, but we don't have the ability to defeat allergies. No, we do. Technology is there, but it was banned. Eugenics was frowned upon, so they banned. To defeat allergies, you wouldn't need eugenics. We have treatments now that can defeat allergies. Yeah. We understand, like, hey, people could be allergic to this. Let's create more than one way of fixing this to make it so that we don't need to give Captain Kirk bifocals. But the glasses definitely... They sued him. Yeah, it fit the character, and it added character to the movie. Like, there's the scene later on when he's talking to Khan for the first time, and he's pulling up the information on the computer, and he gets all pissed off and has to pull the glasses out to read it. Yeah. And then he's trying to read the book Spock gave him, and his glasses are broken because Khan broke them. They got all mad. Fuck it. Damn it. I don't think we ever see him with glasses again in any other movie, do we? I think so. We'll bring that up when we get to other movies. After that, they go on their training. Oh, the Romulan L. I only use it for medicinal purposes. Right. Now that technically you opened it, let's drink it. Now, this was one of the things that I noticed that was kind of cool, is that when Kirk took a drink, you notice his facial expression to be like something that's supposed to be excited about, and he's just like, oh. What? Did I just put piss in my mouth? (laughs) Yeah. Like, you went through the entire emotion with Kirk while he was on the screen drinking that. (laughs) He was excited to try the Romulan L. It's like, awesome, we're going to do something illegal. And it's like, oh, I did something illegal. (laughs) We're going to do something illegal. Why is this illegal? It's nasty. Bone sums it up later. That Romulan L's hell of stuff. Then we move forward to figuring out how we run into Khan. Oh, yeah. Yep. I mean, you get to see the the Enterprise again in all its beauty and glory, which is pretty interesting. Oh, yeah. until later. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hold up. Speaking of the Enterprise, getting to see it again in all its glory, you know what else we get to see? What's that? The shuttle going around the damn ship again. (laughs) Instead of just going straight to... Like, they even show it in the view screen this time because they're showing Kirk and all of them on the shuttle talking as they're approaching it. And they're heading toward the docking bay at the back of the ship. But then the very next cut, they show the shuttle going along the side of the ship to go back around to the other side. Yeah, it's the second recycle scene in this film. Then we get to uh, SETI Alpha 5, Chekhov, and Captain, what's his name? Captain Terrell. Terrell. Think that they're on SETI Alpha 6. They find the Botany Bay. 
Chekhov, who should have no clue what the Botany Bay is, knows what the Botany Bay is. Shouldn't know Khan. Khan shouldn't know him. But they know each other. Hang on, I'm getting there. I'm already there. <laughs> Space Seed, the episode that Khan's from, was filmed and aired before Chekhov was ever cast. So Chekhov didn't exist in the show. So he never met Khan. But the two of them act like they know each other. And what has basically become the established story is that Chekhov was on board the Enterprise. He just wasn't a cast member yet, so we didn't see him. And in an off-screen interaction, when Khan's trying to get to engineering to take over the ship, Chekhov's the one who was able to stall him so that the main crew could head him off and defeat him. And that's how they... Walter Koenig once joked that Chekhov made Khan wait in line for the toilet once, explaining Khan's vivid memory of him. <laughs> yep. Yep. And that is the story of how Chekhov and Khan first met. I like to think it's a combination of them. I like to think that not only did he make Khan wait for a bathroom, but then later, he's the same asshole who stalled Khan getting to the engineering. Yep. Just more salt in the wound, you know? And then Kirk is like, wait, not only did you make him hold his bladder, you also were able to stay a step ahead of him long enough that I was able to get to engineering and stop him? Perfect. That might have been a side conversation after, oh, you delayed him and let me get to engineering? Well, I also held him up getting to the toilet, too. <laughs> Which is probably the whole reason that he decided to take over the ship. This inferior asshole made me wait to relieve my asshole. <laughs> Damn it, Chekhov. Uh... In that same scene where Chekhov and Terrell meet Khan, it's explained that 80 members landed and that 20 of them died to the uh, Seti eels, including Khan's beloved wife. But Khan never refers to her by name or goes into any other detail. But it was confirmed by the producers that his wife was, in fact, the former Lieutenant Marla G Givers. The Enterprise historian who was seduced by Connor. There's the knot. It's a good thing she was not there because her dying six months after they got on the planet makes Khan's wrath a lot more relatable. Like his obsession with Kirk is a lot more understandable when you think, oh, well, yeah, Kirk inadvertently caused his wife to. But having Khan hold on to that passion of like, oh, I hope when I get off of this planet. I am going to come after you. And he was so poetic about everything. Yeah. So he puts bugs in people's heads now? No, they're baby eels. Whatever. They're bugs. They're alien parasites that make people very suggestible. There's a problem I have with this explanation. Okay. They're just suggestible. There's nothing that makes it so that they imprint themselves. So basically anybody could tell them to do something and they would do it. Right. Cons like super everything. But it still doesn't explain, like, they're just suggestible. Anybody could have thwarted Khan's plan just by being like, no, Chekhov, put the phaser down. Right, and that was one of the things that kind of got out of place with Dr. Carl Marcus when Chekhov was communicating with her on Regular One. Carol Marcus was asking why or who, and you can see Chekhov pause for a minute, and then he just makes something up on the spot. Well, I think he was being coached off. He was being told that say Kirk was the one. But why the long pause? Right? Because he was going to answer correctly, and then I like to think that Khan was there in the background going... Well, Khan was in the background. They show it. I'm specifically thinking of a later scene when they're in the Genesis chamber, 
or even when they're on regular mm-hmm. and they've got Chekhov there and Khan's not there at that point when Kirk started asking questions, there's absolutely no reason they would have lied. So the part where they tell him the bullshit story about, oh, the captain w- was strong and never got completely controlled and was able to regain his wits or whatever. It's like, why, why did they lie to Kirk? There's no reason for them to lie to Kirk other than Khan told them to. They're supposed to just be super suggestible. So the moment that Kirk asked a question, they should have just answered it. There's right. nothing beholding them to whatever it was that Khan told them to do. It would be different if it was like, okay, while you're under the influence of this, I can like program you to do stuff. And it was established that he took the things out of their heads so that whatever he programmed in there is what they were going to do, whether they wanted to or not. That was just me saying there's something about this that bugged me. Yeah. Anyway. And then they start their pleasure cruise and Admiral Kirk tells Spock that it's captain's discretion where they go. And then Spock's like, okay, well, Mr. Sulu, take us wherever the hell you want us to go. But when he's entering out of the shuttle and he sees Scotty for the first time, Scotty says a line about, we had a wee bout, but Dr. McCoy pulled me through. That's an actual reference to the actor, James Duhon, having a heart attack just before filming began. Oh, damn. Oh, and the smartassery of Kirk in this scene. Oh, shit. We'll start our inspection and engineering. Oh, it'll be ready for you, Captain. Oh, that'll be a first. <laughs> also, as a side note with James Doohan, in the last episode, we talked about he has some uh, fingers that were removed in a military accident. Right. I have looked into it, and what actually happened is... On the beaches of Normandy, he took heavy machine gun fire and was hit about eight times, three of which were in his hand. So he had his fingers blown off in combat on the beaches of Normandy. And if he didn't have a loving brother that gave him, I kid you not, a cigarette case that he had in his chest pocket, he would have died. So there was almost no Scotty. And that's why smoking saves lives, kids. No, it doesn't. <laughs> we can't. Wait, kids don't listen to us. Never mind. Say whatever the hell you want. Anyone stupid enough. Don't listen to me. I'm a bad influence. We already covered. There's no smoking in the future. So. Yeah, because they all vape. They don't vape. Wait, that's right. They do. <gasps> but that's not till later. Oh, man. You remember that one time that Spock took that mega hit off of. Yeah. Got his whole face up in there. Yeah. He's just all up in it. And I was like, oh, shit, get it. During this part, Kirk meets Scotty's new engineering crew and one promising young engineer. I don't remember his name, though, or how he's important. Preston? Yeah, Preston. In the director's cut, they re-add a scene later where it is revealed that Preston is actually Scott's nephew. Cool. That's how he was important. I knew there was a reason. I just couldn't remember what it was. Yep. I like the Spock comment that nobody's perfect when <laughs> Savick says so he's human. so human. I also did like when Kirk's like, are we ready for our pleasure cruise? Guys like anytime. Bones is like, well, what, what about the rest of the inspection? Kirk mouse later waving it off. Like, n- no, just he started with engineering for a reason. <laughs> we'll get to that later. Uh, yeah. Then they get out on their cruise. No wormhole this time, no weird asteroid, no... And they let the woman drive it out, which was awesome. Savick, have you ever done it? No, 
All right, here you go. Let's do this. Yep. Repeat animation from the first one showing the ship leaving dry dock. Yep. No, they changed it. Because in the Did first it. one, dude on the railing does a backflip. That's not in this one. Okay, so they removed dude doing a backflip. But otherwise, it was like all the same. All of the spotlights, all of that were exactly the same. And then they get out there. They're on their pleasure cruise. The Reliant sends the message to Carol Marcus that they're coming to get the Genesis thing. We learn at this point that the scientists working on Genesis have no love for Starfleet. Well, that could be the, because their space station is the same one from the motion pictures, just turned upside down. That could be. It could also be that there's hippie scientists who blame Starfleet for war profiteering because I don't get that. Like, that part of the thing didn't really make sense to me. I never really got the impression that Starfleet was out there, like, turning things into weapons up until this movie. Yeah, because... Like later in the movie, they were talking about how they're just out there to explore and to make, you know, create relations with different races and species and that kind of thing. But it wasn't about anything weaponized. Right. So with that talk later, coming back to what, you know, the scientists were saying, it just made me go like the Starfleet overall and the way that they were put together, as far as my understanding of Star Trek and Starfleet as they're not there to create weapons. Right. That doesn't come into play until later, when they're having the Dominion War and the Borg War. The heavy weapon development starts with their encounter with the Borg. Up until then, they kept their weapon development pretty lax because they were dealing with the Klingons and the Romulans, who were about the same technological level. The Federation's actually a little bit more advanced than them because... The Romulans are still using plasma weapons, which the Federation has moved beyond. And the Klingons are using disruptor weapons, which are pretty destructive, but they don't have the capabilities that a phaser has. Like a phaser is a way more versatile and advanced device than a disruptor, which I could go into the mechanics on how it works, but that would take way too long. Well, the disruptor just disrupts the atomic bond. Yeah, basically. And so Carol. Is all like, Kirk, why are you taking it away from me? But things are being jammed on her end, so Kirk's all like, Oh, so we're like way jumping. What? Ahead. What are you <laughs> talking about, woman? Tell me what are you talking about? I'm not taking it. Yeah, so who's taking, taking it away? Who's taking it? Yeah. Better let Starfleet know about this. Mm. But after learning about Carol Marcus calling and not being able to communicate, Kirk goes to Spock and is talking about going to regular one and figuring out what's up with this noise about Genesis and we're taking it from them and all that stuff. Spock tells him that for proper advice, he'd need to know exactly what he's advising on. So they go to watch the video, which Kirk refers to as a tape, which I kind of found funny. Maybe that's how it was stored originally because it does look pretty old. i just found it funny, like, in the future, we're going to go back to using tapes. I mean, it is a superior format. Uh, okay. I thought that was vinyl. No, it's VHS, because, you know, that's what I used to watch The Wrath of Khan on. Did you really? No. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to be like, did you really, like, pull out your VHS player to watch old school Wrath of Khan? Like, it's called I just a VCR. went and got it off of Amazon, but... Hell yeah, I took that out of a box, dusted it off, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's time, baby. I think when it comes time for us to watch... Star Trek 3, I'm going to go and bust out the old laser disc. 
Oh, but you still snap. have that? I know where it's at. I don't know if I have Star Trek 3 on Laserdisc actually about it, so... Well, I'm jelly. Yeah. I have a bunch of stuff. I have the original Star Wars trilogy on uh, yeah. Laserdisc pre-George Lucas edits. Yep. Same. True. Well, I don't have them, but that's where Laserdisc came into my life, and it was the most epic thing ever. Yeah. I have Goonies on Laserdisc, I can tell you that much. <laughs> we found the box, and the... Star Wars ones were right on top. Anyway, we're going off topic there. So they watch the tape and they learn that the Genesis device is a device that turns a dead rock into a not dead rock. Magically. It's not magic, it's science. Using magic science. We're, we're in Star Trek, not Star Wars. But there was three stages to this. The first stage was, I can't remember what stage one was. Stage one was in a lab. Stage two is in an underground environment. And stage three is dead planet right so everything sounds amazing making life from lifelessness what that was amazing yeah bones is obviously pissed off by it he gets all religious about it and it's like dude it's fucking science calm down it's bones yeah it's bones it's magic science by the way <laughs> it's magic science <laughs> computer graphics back then were amazing right i wonder how long it took them to render all that months and months i'm sure uh, I don't know. It was done by someone who eventually ended up at ILM. I thought everything in that movie was done by ILM. The sequence is the first complete computer-generated sequence ever used in a feature film, and mm. a direct brainchild of ex-Boeing engineer Lauren Carpenter. Oh, at this point, he is at ILM. Yeah. Yep. <sighs> and it was while he was at Boeing that he discovered that Mandelbrot fractals can be used to create realistic mountain landscapes for computer animation of new aircraft designs. Ooh. So that's how it came to be. Pretty awesome. So Kirk and the gang bebop through space to regular one. Oh, oh we forgot something. Did we? Yeah, Khan's right-hand man tried to tell him to give this all up. Oh, yeah, that's right. Just like, why do you have this obsession with Kirk? Told him that his obsession with Kirk was going to destroy him, basically. By escaping his exile, he defeated Kirk. And Khan was like, no. This runs much deeper than your understanding. <laughs> or something along those cool lines. Yeah. Kirk gives me a boner that this just cannot. They put a lot of work into that. <laughs> we moved on from that. <laughs> I know. I'm just realizing how much work they put into it. Oh. So. Because the stars in the background... To be true to where that planet would be if it were really there, but still contained constellations that would be recognizable from Earth, and where you could see the uh, Big Dipper star they chose was Epsilon Indy, and the only change would be that Earth's sun appears an, as an extra star in that constellation. That's how much work they put into it. Yeah, Kirk and crew are galloping across the stars. To meet up with Chippendales of Space. Only to find that nobody's there. Damn it. Why the hell did they let George Takai pilot the Enterprise to Chippendales? <laughs> That's why he had that look on his face when Spock was like, Sulu, your discretion. He's like, yeah, I know where we're going. So many of the actors playing Khan's henchmen at the time of filming were also Chippendale dancers. Well, that makes the movie more interesting. On their way to Regula, they run into Khan. And I had a problem with this scene. I bet you can't guess what it was. Which part of it? Like, following regulations? 
the whole interaction with between the two ships at this point, the two crews, that whole segment where the initial conflict between them happens. Okay. My issue is Kirk knows that somebody's come to take Genesis. Oh. He knows that somebody was jamming communication at Regula. And then he's on his way out there, and all of a sudden, this Reliant ship arrives, isn't communicating back with them. When they do communicate back, they give a bullshit reason why their comms aren't working, and Kirk knows that, and he still doesn't raise shield, despite Savick telling him that regulation states that he should be raising his shield. Right. We all know that Kirk's a fly-by-the-seat-of-his-pants kind of, I'll do what I want, so he's like, eh, we'll be good. We're much cooler. It just doesn't fit the Kirk that we knew from the original series, the one that would be like, okay, something's not right here, bring up the shields. Well, he's a little rusty. He's been behind a console for too long. I'm old. And old. And because he doesn't bring up the shields, he gets caught with his britches down, the Enterprise gets totally fucked up. Again. Yep. Yep, Khan knew where to hit him. In the jellies. In the jellies. But then he was doing one final pass, and he's like, going after your life support, man. And I was like, oh, shit. But then Khan says something stupid (laughs) that sparks Kirk's memory on what to do next. What does he say? I don't remember what he said, but he was just kind of like, I don't think he knows what the Genesis really is. So can you bring up some schematic or I can't remember what exactly he said, but bring something up that's totally bogus. And uh, we'll go ahead and send him that. So he was talking to Spock, and as he's talking to Spock, he's like, keep nodding like I'm giving orders. Right. And he tells Savick to pull up the charts for the command console for the Reliant. Oh, right, 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 right. So that then they can use the super secret passcode to make the Reliant drop its shields and pants Khan in return. Yeah. Caught us with our pants down. Let's get yours down, too. Very poetic conversation between Kirk and Khan. Mm-hmm. So beautiful. Every time Khan was talking in that movie, it was just very beautiful. Like, he was so poetic about it. And so angry at the same time. Like, angry poetics. Yep. Like, he had a lot of time to think about what he was going to say to Kirk. Right? He had a lot of time to think about it. He had 15 years to come up with what he's going to do. And then he let Kirk get the better of him. Apparently, they had to shoot the here it comes now scene over and over and because Shatner would overact it and would ruin it to give it the context that here it comes now what we know is going to happen and they kept doing it and doing it until he got bored and just like okay here here it comes now yeah yeah watching this movie reminded me of how much he moves around like he can't sit still <laughs> right this is also the only Star Trek original series film where a Federation ship fires phasers. In all of the other ones, it's always torpedoes. In the first one, when they went to fire the phasers, Decker said, no. At this point, Mr. Scott kills Preston. He just carries Preston's damaged, nearly dead body onto the bridge. Instead of sick bay, costing him vital minutes that cost him his life. Maybe he was going to die anyway. He was an engineer. Those engines did blow up and they got shot in engineering. So maybe he was doomed to begin with and he was just so distraught that his nephew was going to die that he went to the bridge 
instead, instead of sick bay. Yeah, Scott cost him his life. Stress and grief will do crazy things to you. And then he lies to Kurt and says that he's the one who stayed at his station. That's not true. I saw the footage. He left his station. It's true. When he walks on board, Savick does gasp, and that's due to her Romulan heritage. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about. When he walks under the bridge, carrying the body, of course it does. Oh, you said on board. I was like, what the hell are we going back to when they got on board the ship for? No, when he walks onto the bridge, she gasps. He shouldn't have come onto the bridge. He should have gone to sickbay, and maybe Preston would still be alive. And he wouldn't have had to lie to Kirk about Preston leaving his station. I don't know why he lied to Kirk about it. Because yeah. it's his nephew. No, everybody else was running. And Preston left his station to go and save people. He was the only one who ran back into engineering and pulled another person out when everybody else was running away. That's way cooler than he stayed at his station. I'm still blaming stress and grief. I'm blaming Scott because he knows he just killed his by taking him to the bridge instead of sick. That's part of stress and grief. It's by taking somebody to the bridge. Oh my God. Uh, called bad writing. That's what it is. <laughs> then they get to Regula and that whole scene with Chekhov and the captain takes place. Got his name, Terrell. Captain Terrell. We did miss Savick correcting the Admiral again on regulation. When they go down to it, you can't go without armed escort. He's like, wait, that's not regulation. She just stares at him, you're not going anyway. And then he's like, okay, fine. I would have just been like, if you wanted to come, just say you want to come. Lots of wandering around the station until they find the dead bodies hanging from the second level. And learn that everything is gone. The worst acting ever from the brainwashed people who shouldn't be brainwashed, only super suggestible. And the funny part where Kirk has a squeaky hip. And these two are totally obvious that they're still under mind control. Like, they admit that they were under mind control, and then it's obvious that they're still under mind control. So, Kirk totally knew what was going on. There's no way he didn't know. <sighs> Kirk realizes that they can probably look at the logs for the transporter, find out where everybody went. So he does that. Find out that they went to the planet's surface. But before they do, he has a conversation with Mr. Spock about how damaged the Enterprise is, where Spock exaggerates the time. I should have caught on to that, because the way that he was speaking to Kirk about the how long things were going to take. Yeah. I was like, why is he saying it like that? All right, whatever. <laughs> Moving on. But we find out later. The reason why he was talking like that. Yep. And then they get down there. And Khan. Khan! We're getting to it. Oh, and then man. David all jumps right. him and is all like, Kirk, I knew it was you. And they have their little confrontation. Then it turns out that the other two are brainwashed. Oh my God, who could have saw that coming? No idea. While well, I'm blankly staring. And then for some reason, the one in Chekhov's ear just leaves him. There's not enough brain food there. I think that was kind of like showing off Maybe that Chekhov had a little bit more control, but at the same time, it was explained to us that these CD eels would cause more pain when you're not following the suggestions right. and stuff like that. So I was kind of confused by that part. Same. I was confused by this part because it was pretty much established that if you're not following their commands, it becomes painful, which is what Captain Terrell showed us before he committed suicide. Right. He knew what he was being told to do was bad. So instead of doing it, he commits suicide. Right. And then Chekhov starts having the same killer headache, but then the creature just leaves him. And with the amount of 
Khan's crew that died from this stuff that had like total devotion to Khan. I just can't see this thing being, I don't know, if somebody could have enough of a connection with somebody and enough respect for somebody that they could go against the suggestions and piss this creature off enough that it could leave, I would imagine that somebody on Khan's crew would have been able to do it. Yeah. So when that didn't happen, it's just like, oh, it just confused me. It's like, why did it leave his ear? It would have made more sense if somebody would have used a phaser on stun on him and then it left him because Khan didn't have weapons. So he wouldn't have been able to shoot somebody and piss the bug off so that it crawls out of there. Or the eel. Sorry. Eel. Yeah. We can call it a bug. It's fine. But then Khan steals the Genesis stuff. And for the first time ever is rational enough to be like, hey, I'm done messing with you, Kurt. I got what I wanted and you're trapped on the planet. I'm going to go destroy your ship now. Everybody else during this part is like, how can you be so calm? We should be figuring a way out of this. What's wrong with you? And Kirk just keeps looking at his watch and being like, no, I think we're good. Yeah, we got time. (laughs) At the very least, I figured Bones would have picked up on that. Like, why every time somebody brings up how we got to figure something out, why does he look at his watch and then just kind of shrug it off like it's not a big deal? Bones, of all people, should have figured that out. Or Carol. They might have not been on their game that day. Apparently nobody was. Scotty's taking half-dead people to the bridge instead of the infirmary. Kirk's getting caught with his britches down when he knows he should have had his shields up. The only one who was on his game was Khan, and he still loses. Uh, uh. Oh, we also learn at this point that David is Kirk's son. Please, Kirk, tell me what you're feeling. What's going on in that brain of yours? Holy shit, I have a kid. Well, he already knew he had a kid that he hadn't seen in years. Yep. And he's being hunted down by a man he hasn't seen in 15 years. So David must have been born before the original series. For some reason, I always had it in my head that Carol and Kirk hooked up after the original series ended, but nope. What happens next? Mm, I think this is where Savick gets her answer on how Kirk beat the Kobayashi Maru test. Oh yeah, this is where Bones rats him out. David's all like, you cheated! Yep. And Kirk's all like, I don't believe in a no-win scenario. After all of that preaching I did while you were taking the test, Mr. Savick, <laughs> I never <laughs> believed in it to begin with. <laughs> and just to exclamation point that, Mr. Spock, are we ready? Yep. Uh, yes. Let me get back to the Enterprise. And Savick's like, Spock, you lied. And he's like, no, I just exaggerated the truth. <laughs> and then used regulations. Yeah. And Savick was surprised. She's like, what? I didn't know. Nothing really happens the rest of them. At this point, it just goes into the action sequence of them fighting in the nebula. Khan's right-hand man tries to tell him again, like, you've already beaten Kirk. Don't go back. But his Kirk boner's just too damn hard, and he needs to get that Kirk action. So as soon as he hears Kirk's voice, it's like, no, I gotta go. Well, it was like re-engaging his heart on. Just like, heard Kirk's voice. Oh, get in there now. He already spent that load, and then Kirk came back, and he's like, ready for round two, boy. Yeah. Fuck! <laughs> That's almost exactly how it goes, too. Yeah, it is. <laughs> then they go into the nebula. Bach points out that Khan is inexperienced and thinking two-dimensionally so they can defeat him in a three-dimensional manner. So they do that, and then Khan's all like, I will give you the ultimate load! I will create life so hard you won't survive it. Which kind of tripped me up. That's like, the stage three of Genesis is supposed to go into a dead barren planet, but instead right. 
it's created inside of a nebula. That's a baby planet factory. Yeah, a nebula would technically have all of the gases and particles and stuff that are needed to create a planet. Yeah. But I would imagine in order for a nebula to be used properly, they would actually have to configure it to be used in a nebula. Here's the thing. This is another problem with the whole story. All right. They went to SETI Alpha 5 looking for a dead planet, but the regular station was in orbit of a dead planet. Carol even calls it a dead rock in space. Maybe it's just an asteroid and not an actual planet. Maybe it requires an atmosphere and not just a dead rock in space. But they didn't say that. They said it just needed to be a planet with no life on it. They never said anything about an atmosphere. And Carol's a good cook. Like, how would she not be able to make the Genesis work in that type of environment? And then the Genesis actually works on this nebula that happened to be right next door to this planet. (laughs) There's a whole lot of problems here. Anyway, warp engines aren't working, so Spock takes it upon himself to go down into engineering, take a load in his face, take a massive hit off of that vape, and yeah, they warp out of there. This part was actually like really sad, right from the moment that McCoy's like, Admiral, you need to get down here. Everybody played that so well, and that's where Spock admits that he's never taken the Kobayashi Maru, and he wanted to know Kirk's opinion of his solution to the scenario. Here's what I have to say about it. Based off of what we know from Star Trek 3, I would say his solution is basically exactly the same as Kirk's. He found a way to change the rules and cheat. That bastard. Well, all in all, like, if we do more of a philosophical thing, wouldn't we all want to do that? Yeah. I would totally do that, for sure. Change the rules and make it play in your favor. Always the best (sighs) option. So Spock died. The end. Or did he? Well, yeah, he died. They gave a nice farewell, and Savick's hair was changed again. Definitely probably was not regulation at that point, but they sent Spock off into the planet, and Scotty playing the bagpipes, which I'm happy that bagpipes still exist in the 23rd century. Right? Mm Mm-hmm. So, I said I was going to get back to something. After Spock dies, David finally comes to talk to Kirk and have a civil conversation with him. Turns out that he's found out that he's Kirk's space seed, and now all of a sudden he doesn't hate Kirk anymore because, oh, wait, you're my dad? (laughs) Fucking typical children. He was just having daddy issues before. But Kirk's having a problem because Spock just died, and David asks him if Savick was correct when she deduced that Kirk had never faced death, and Kirk admits that he's never faced death like this before. To which David replies, you were wise enough to tell Savick that how we face death is just as important as how we face life. And I thought David was not on the bridge during the Kobayashi Maru simulation. <laughs> how the hell does he know what Kirk told her? It was story time on the barren planet. Right? Uh, and that is why those lines became important again later. Because at the very end of the movie... David knows them, and he's not supposed to. But it wrapped everything up so nicely in a bow. Right, it did. My thoughts on the movie are, it's a fun movie. It's got a lot of plot holes in it. There's a lot of things that contradict themselves in the very same movie. There's a lot of things that didn't really line up with the original series. But overall, it's a good movie. It's definitely one of the better originals. In this movie, how many times does Kirk and Khan interact? face to face 
by face to face, what do you mean? Like in person. In person? Zero. Do you know why? Because probably scheduling conflicts, but also because the storytellers knew that Khan would rip him apart. It is all about scheduling conflict. Yeah. So uh, Ricardo Montalban recorded all of his interactions later due to the filming of Fantasy Island. Story-wise, the reason is because Khan would have destroyed the shit out of Kirk's corset. Well, then you would have just saw Chubby Kurt again. <laughs> yeah, Chubby Kurt. All right. So what's your final? I don't have any yet because I still got about an hour to watch. <laughs> All right. Well, then we'll have to worry about your final thoughts some other day. I do like it, but I have to say it's not my favorite of the original series movies, but it is still a very good story. Okay. Swear to God, if you say Star Trek V is your favorite, I'm fucking... No, Voyage Home. Voyage Home's all right. There isn't any undiscovered country. <laughs> I don't like Star Trek V enough that I don't even remember the last time I watched it. I can't. I couldn't tell you either, but we'll be watching it soon. <laughs> Scotty, what's your final thoughts? No, overall, the movie was good. I think they did a pretty good job for what they had to work with at the time. It's been a long time since I've seen it before, obviously, this week. And I feel like it aged, it aged well enough to where... <laughs> It was definitely worth the watch again. Yes. Definitely a good movie. I would definitely watch it again for sure. As of this recording, it is available on Amazon Prime. Included in Amazon Prime. Right. It's included as part of Amazon Prime. Yeah. And it is available on Hulu. Woo, Hulu. Sweet. Good do you get know. all the little uh, side trivia in Hulu? No. If I do, it's probably turned off or I don't even know if that's a feature or not. It might only be on the computer because... On Prime, you get it when you're watching it on the computer, but like if yeah. you're watching it on a device, it doesn't show up. All right. So before we go, there was one other bit of information I promised earlier in the recording, which was I was going to talk about why Leonard Nimoy is coming back and why I was glad that he chose to do it. So the story behind Leonard Nimoy is he didn't want to do motion picture. He was pissed off at Gene Roddenberry for boning him on a project that they were working on post-Star Trek together. He was pissed off at Paramount because they used his likeness in a beer commercial without paying him. To get him to even negotiate on the motion picture, a producer had to fly out and watch a play that he was doing. Like he flew out there and he called Leonard Nimoy and he was like, hey, I'm out here and I heard you're working on this. Is it okay if I come and watch it? And then afterwards we can get like a cup of coffee or something. And Leonard Nimoy was like, well, if you are coming all the way out here just to see me, then I'm not going to say no. Yeah. Even though he told his agent, if you say the word Star Trek to me ever again, I'm going to fire you. He was at least courteous enough to tell this guy, like, if, if you're coming out here just for me, then yeah, well, we can sit down and we can talk. This dude didn't take the approach of, you've got to do this. He took the approach of just tell me what's going on. Let me know, like, what did Gene do? What did Paramount do? Why don't you want to? Yeah, why don't you want to? And that's all he did. And then after meeting with him three times over a week, and every time it was just basically letting Leonard Nimoy talk to him, not him trying to sell this new movie to him. At that point, he finally said, can I send you the script and can we get you back? And Leonard Nimoy told him, until Paramount pays me, I'm not coming back. So Paramount paid him like a week later and then they send him out the script and he read it and said, the motion picture script sucks. If you guys want me, you're going to give me a favored nation contract. What that means is... Anything that they offer any other actor in Star Trek, in the movie that they're working on, they also have to offer it to Leonard Nimoy. 
The only other person who had a contract like that was William Shatner. Leonard Nimoy also got final approval of the script. So until the script was where he liked it, he wasn't going to go on set, which also gave William Shatner the ability to say, I'm not going on set. So in the motion picture, what that ended up doing was changing the entire third act. When Spock gets shot back out of V'ger, what was supposed to happen was Kirk was supposed to go in and then there was like this whole convoluted adventure of them inside V'ger's inner workings before they finally did something. Nobody knows what it is because Gene Roddenberry never finished that. But they ended up rewriting it and it ended up good and it worked. All of that work pissed off Leonard Nimoy. So when they came to him and said, hey, let's do Star Trek 2. We want to do this. And this is what we've got. He said no. And then he turned around and said, well, you know what? I'm not going to piss off the fans because I know the fans. <laughs> if I don't come back, they're going to hound me on why I didn't come back. So here's the thing. I'm done with Star Trek. I don't want to do it again. So I'll come back and I'll do it if you kill off Spock. So that's where the ending of the movie came from was because he wanted his contract to be done and over with. Right. Once he got on set and started playing the role, he found that now that Gene Roddenberry wasn't in control anymore and the production was a lot more streamlined and all of that, it was a lot more fun for him. So he's like, you know, I think I do want to come back and do another one. But they weren't going to change the script at that point because they were already like very deep into filming by the time he decided he didn't want to die anymore. So he just went through with it. Yeah. And that scene at the end where he does the mind meld and tells Bones to remember, that wasn't supposed to be his way back. It was supposed to be like pieces of Spock's wisdom were being passed on. And every once in a while, McCoy would just say something profound or he'd have a message that was left in his mind from Spock, but it wasn't supposed to be like, I'm putting my whole essence in you. <laughs> Them shooting him onto the Genesis planet and him coming back to life that way, none of it was planned. Wow. Another thing with Roddenberry was on this film, he was given a consultant position and replaced as executive producer because apparently Paramount blamed the constant production delays and budget overruns for the motion picture on Roddenberry's constant meddling and demanding script rewrites. They had been open to letting him produce the film on the condition that he takes a less hands-on role and share the producer's role with John Pavel, who had been an associate producer on the motion picture, but Roddenberry refused the notion of anything less than full creative control, so they pulled him out. Yep. That was how he lost his control. Was I have full creative control, and they're like, nope. No, you don't. Bye. Bye. Go work on the next generation, dude. And when we get around to doing the search for Spock, I'll tell you about how they got Leonard Nimoy back for that one. Sweet. Or I could tell you now. I mean, it's really not that big of a deal. We'll save it for next episode. <laughs> next episode. Yeah. Well, it's not going to be the next episode. It's going to be like five episodes from now. But It's all right. Save the goodies for later. Hold on, let me count this. One, two, three, four, five. I was right. Boom. When Spock died, it was supposed to be McCoy saying he's dead, Jim. But DeForest Kelly feared that that would draw too many unintentional laughs and insisted that that be changed. And it became Scotty saying, sir, he's dead already. Yeah, I could see that. Oh, that whole scene was William Shatner's idea. So going back to the motion picture, they still had final say on the script. And William Shatner basically said, I want them to stay separated. I don't want them to be able to get back to each other. Like, I want that barrier in between them. But he wanted it to be an opaque barrier so you couldn't even see Spock. 
like you just could see his outline in there and like Spock was supposed to just be a shadow that was on the other side of this wall to him symbolized like the veil between life and death. And the chamber was effectively airtight. So in order for him to be able to breathe, the crew had to slip hoses underneath and pump air into the chamber. And the compressor was so loud that it had to be turned off when either he or Shatner were delivering lines. Uh, all right. Do we got anything else to talk about? I think we're done. Scotty's not actually playing the bagpipe. Well, I figured he's Canadian, not Scottish. I guess if you watch it, you can see that the drones are pointed to the side and the bag's not inflated and he's not even moving his fingers. All three of them. It's just, he's holding it and it's faked. Here, hold this. All right. You said Scotty wasn't playing the bagpipes and I was like, wait, our Scotty doesn't play bagpipes? <laughs> not yet. I was like, oh, he's talking about Montgomery, Scott. Not yet. <laughs> but you will. That's right. Do you have a kilt? I do have a kilt. Sweet. Figure that's something I probably should have asked like a year. I just found a correction. We've moved on from Star Trek. We're talking about Scotty's kilt. So like, is your kilt from Scotland? No, it's just a Utila kilt. Oh. My actual kilt for my family line has to be custom made. So made by hand. That's not. Isn't that how all of the real family ones are made? Most of them are, but some of them are more popular names than others. So can just order it off the internet because they're already pre-made. But some of them, like mine, has a gold thread, color gold anyway, that's mixed in. And they don't have a machine set up to do that, so it has to be done by hand. So rumors are that anyone who wants to can wear the kilt of the Black Watch. Is that true? Or Night Watch? It's a black one. Yeah, if it's just black, anybody can wear one. So how much would getting your family kilt cost you? When I priced it, full wool, long pleated kilt would have been like $670. That's like two bottles of scotch. Yeah, 30 year. Mm. I guess you could get like a fee or something for that price. Maybe. Depends on who I get it from, I guess. And if I want to drink pure nose hair singeing alcohol. <laughs> have you ever had 50 year? No, I haven't had 50 year. I know you had that 30. Yes. I didn't know if while you were over there, maybe they let you sample the 50 year. No, I would imagine that's like 1200 bucks or something like that. And I'm sure it's really expensive. And I'm pretty sure if I went up to him and be like, Hey, can I have a small glass of that? Look at me like I'm the craziest person alive. I just want to taste. I know some of the places like that will give you a little shot glass, like half a shot. If you go and tour them, sometimes they'll be like, here's our 50 year. And it'll be like, half a shot i didn't know if they actually do it with a 50 year i can see why they wouldn't like if it's 1200 dollars a bottle yeah like that would just be insane well i don't know what the actual price is <laughs> i stick with scotch that's in my price range from 60 to 90 dollars i don't go over expensive anymore these days except when you splurge on those 30 year bottles yeah while you're living in scotland yep exactly uh living in another country sounds like fun Highly recommend it. Has perks sometimes, depending on which country. Yeah, Because well, I lived in Iraq for a year and... Yeah, that sucked. Dollar DVDs. That had malware programmed into them, so that if you put them in a computer, you end up hacked. I don't know, I never put them in a computer. I know, neither did I. I was smart enough. But I knew guys who did it, and then all of a sudden, all of their information stolen. They're like, how did this happen? I wonder. Did you do something stupid recently? You know who lives in another country now? Kaiser. 
Kaiser. He lives in the old, the old New Zealand now. He's turning himself into a kiwi. I hear it's kiwi-licious. And I think this is the part where I should say see you later, dude. Later, later dude. Next time, hopefully more people will be with us. You never know. What are we talking about next time? I don't know. It's blank. That's when you go to the upcoming schedule. That's the one I'm looking at. Yeah, it's blank. Ah, son of a bitch. <laughs> Alrighty, that's this week's Dudes Cast. Thank you for swinging by and come on by again to see what crazy ideas we come up with next week. Head over to facebook.com slash dudesfromalteria or reddit.com slash r slash dudesfromalteria. Give us a like or a follow. Or head over to dudesfromalteria.com. Look at our merch and drop us a suggestion for where we could go from here. We have a Patreon at patreon.com slash dudesfromalteria. Maybe drop us $2. Or go for our new tier 2, which gives you the power to recommend movies for us to cover in the future. Have a good weekend. See you later, dudes. Dude Link?